You're about to embark on a journey through the written word of God on subjects that deal with the day. This is Brothers Just Searching. How you doing, everyone? And welcome to today's podcast. We are excited and blessed to have you all here again tonight. For episode five, Boogie, we, well, Anthony, we, uh, we addressed that last week with his nickname. So, <laughs> um, but Anthony, five episodes so far. God's moving. Yeah. God's he, moving. He, that's he's all. He's getting there. He's getting there. But, uh, as I said, I'm Isaac, Anthony. along with Anthony. And tonight, uh, brother Daniel is out of town, so he couldn't make it again tonight. So I went ahead and asked someone I've been knowing for a few years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we first met, never thought that you'd be my pastor. Mm-hmm. Never, never thought. Never. Um, but brother Brandon Trot, pastor of New Beginning Fellowship Church. Thank you for coming, brother. Brandon. Good to be with y'all. Thank you for having me. Oh, uh, we we've been wanting you for a while, so the Lord opened the doors to where you can come. Praise God. And uh, we got a good topic tonight. We got good. a very good topic. Amen. Um, before I go on, I want to go ahead and encourage everyone that is listening. If you are listening on Apple, Google, Radio Public, Spotify, or any platform that holds our podcast. Please go and like it and subscribe to it. You listen to it. That's great. We get the listens. But if you go subscribe to it, it will tell you when the next podcast is coming up. Also, go on our social media accounts, Twitter at Brothers Just Searching Podcast, and also Brothers Just Searching Facebook page. Um, I usually go ahead and share all the new podcasts that come out. We also started sharing our live feed of our church. Um, so if you want to go listen to some good gospel music and some good preaching, go check that out. Um, also our church in Robridge, Louisiana, New Beginning Fellowship Church, we have a Facebook page. If you go on our Facebook page, you should find it real easy. I'm going to bring up again my brother's book, Anthony Hayes, The New Kingdom, Liberty Man, and The Evil Stone. Uh, we're getting some good reviews on it, and uh, God's has been moving in that part of uh, the ministry. Um, we're going to, some details is coming in, um... With me, uh, I have a brother in the Lord that contacted me a few weeks ago, and he wants to put on a youth worship night in Abbeville at the church mm. that he's attending to. I believe it's going to be March th- uh, March 21st. So as details come in, we're going to go ahead and let you all know about that. If you're in the Abbeville area, uh, Brother Kenny um, from uh, yeah, Fleming from uh, Cross Point, mm-hmm. they, they invited us over there. Yeah, so uh, awesome. go check them out wow. in the Abbeville area. Praise God, man. Amen. So um, I, I was supposed to get with you on that. I forgot. <laughs> I have a lot of it's stuff. Right. Going. Well, now, now that know. you bring it up uh, for everyone to hear, we don't approve of that sharing in the body of Christ and acknowledging that other ministries are being used by God too. So uh, <laughs> we're the only one, and uh, you need to respect that. So no, that is the attitude of some churches. <laughs> yes, yeah. unfortunately. You know, kind of like Elijah. You know, we're the only ones. We're the only <laughs> ones, Lord. We're the only ones. Ones left. <laughs> no, nah, but uh, we got a uh, cross point. They, they they're inviting us in for a youth worship night. Amen. So God, we're planning on God to awesome. to do great things. Just mm-hmm. trying to line everything up to. To, to present the gospel to people. And that mm-hmm. is the main focus of our podcast is to win mm-hmm. souls to the kingdom mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. We want to educate people, but uh, dad did it last week. Dad mm-hmm. felt in his spirit to do the sinner's prayer at the end of the last podcast. And it was just talking about how get, how big God is, and we can't see how big God is until we know his sacrifice on the cross. Mm-hmm. So that great podcast last week. So um, as we go along, we're going to get into our topic. I did announce last week we were supposed to talk about Revivals. We was going to talk about Sousa Street and things of that nature. Unfortunately, like we said, Brother Daniel isn't here tonight. Mm-hmm. He's out of town, came up last minute, 
and we wanted to go ahead and uh, do that with Brother Daniel. Brother Daniel and Anthony is doing a lot of the studies on that. I'm studying too, but mm -hmm. these guys, I, I love how mm -hmm. Brother Daniel and Boogie did us soak up <laughs> all the knowledge. But um, <laughs> and nothing for left for me, <laughs> 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 nothing left for me. But um, but as we go along, so what I did was I we've been one brother Dan, uh, brother Brandon to come on. So I called Brother Brandon, and we started talking about certain topics, teamed up with Anthony, and we decided we was going to talk about Bible translations. Mm -hmm. um, we was talking off air. One of the big questions is when a new Christian comes to the Lord, they go to a Christian bookstore, and they look up, and they say, they see all the Bible translations, they say, which one? Just which one? You know, you got the NIV, the ESV, the King James, New King James, New Living Translation, and everybody's like, that's don't even know what to do with it all. Don't know what to do with it all. So mm -hmm. we're gonna go ahead and tackle that. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna start it out, brother Brandon. Mm -hmm. Which Bible translation mm -hmm. we use on the podcast? New uh, King James, New King James, and ESV Great Study Bibles. Mm -hmm. um, they're all not perfect, mm -hmm. but uh, as for you, as a, I'm a new Christian, mm -hmm. where would you where would you steer me to mm -hmm. as a new believer? Amen. Uh, so before we can really say which one we would get to, we have to first understand what a translation is. Mm. And to understand what a translation is, we have to understand what the Bible is. Because what we're talking about is a translation of the Bible. And so those are two subjects that you could spend an infinite amount of time studying. Uh, the first thing is understanding what the Bible is and, and the reason that it's relevant. Why does it matter which one you choose? Why does it matter... To have one that's accurate, that's right, that's uh, that's safe. What does that even mean? And so when we say a translation of the Bible, when we're wanting to have a translation of the Bible, you first have to understand what that is. And so the Bible is understood in the Christian faith to be the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. That this is God's mind revealed to us. That these are the things that God has spoken to us. And we see... In Hebrews chapter 1, that uh, in chapter 1 and verse 1, that at different times and in different ways, God spoke in time past through the prophets, that God was speaking, God was communicating through that medium, through those people, either with saying, thus saith the Lord, here's the things that I want you to know, this is divine revelation, or they were divinely inspired in their interpretation of history, seeing events that took place, recognizing the hand of God in those events, having discernment about those who acted and whether or not they acted right or acted sinfully. Uh, and then so they, they wrote as they were inspired. Uh, and then we see that it says that that's how God spoke in the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his son. And so Jesus Christ is the expression of the heart and the mind of God, revealing God to us and what God wants us to know about the covenant that he came to bring. And then so he chose apostles to go out and to preach the word of God. And in their ministry to the church of Jesus Christ, they had moments where issues needed to be addressed, a doctrine needed to be established, error needed to be uh, confronted. And so they would right as the Holy Spirit led them to. Uh, literally, the word talks about uh, in Peter, 
that men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Ghost. And so someone would say, well, the Bible is just written by men. Well, it is written by men, but there was a divine act of God to lead those men in what they were to write. And the reason that that's important, you can ask, why didn't God, if God is able to do anything that he wants, why wouldn't he choose to cut man out of the uh, process and just give us a perfect completed book? Well, the whole purpose of salvation and redemption, even the purpose of creation, was that he created man to be his representative in the earth. That's what man was created to be, was the likeness and the image of God. And he was to go out into the earth and to subdue the earth, to cultivate it, to nurture it, to have dominion over it, and to represent God in the world. And so it is fitting that in redeeming mankind that he would use man to give his word to us for our benefit and our understanding. And as well, it incorporates uh, the human element of relationship with God. In other words, if God just gave us a book from heaven with truth, but it wasn't written from the perspective of a human, how do we relate to that? Yep. How do we understand, right? I can look at an ant and speak to it in my language in the things that I understand all day long, but its, it's understanding is different than mine, right? Mm. And so I can't understand the ways of God. I can't see the ways of God. It, for God to just speak truth to me would be so out of my understanding that I couldn't, I couldn't receive it. I couldn't make sense of it. And so God allows human beings to write from their perspective, being led by God in a way that I can understand. And so that's what God did through uh, Moses, through Joel, through Isaiah, uh, through David, uh, in the Psalms, in the poetry, in the history, God inspired them to write. God did that in the New Testament with John and with Matthew and with Paul and Peter uh, and with Jude and James, that he inspired them to write. And when the word tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is inspired or breathed by God, that God uh, breathed the scriptures out to us, God communicated to us through scripture, is that he was leading these men in what to write. And so that is what the Bible is. When we say, what is the word of God? It is what God originally led these men to write and to record for us. And then so now we get to the issue of what is a translation. A translation uh, is taking the words of Scripture. Well, in, in general, translation is taking something that is either spoken or written and understanding it in its original language and then communicating that truth in another language. And so this takes a person to understand both the language he is translating from and the language he is translating to. And so we see that a translation of the Bible is taking what was originally written in Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek and translating it into the relevant language, either the, the English language or the Coptic language uh, or the, the uh, Spanish language or German or Latin, any of those translations, that it's, it's translating it into that language. And so that's what the Bible is. That's what a translation is. 
Now, before we can just say, well, okay, that's simple, we're done, we move on, mm-hmm. uh, we must first address the, uh, the issue of how do we know what was originally written. Mm. Because we don't have the original first copy of what Moses wrote when he wrote uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We don't have his original uh, manuscript that he wrote that on. We don't have the original manuscripts that David wrote his Psalms on. We don't have the original manuscripts that Isaac, uh, Isaiah uh, wrote his prophecies on. We don't have the original manuscripts that John and, and James wrote their Gospels in. And so before we deal with just translation, we have to understand copies, okay, and manuscripts. And so when Isaiah would write his scripture or John wrote his scripture, uh, that would be taken and given to the people of God. And then you don't want this to just be in one central location. Well, how is everyone going to read it? How is everyone going to get access? How are we all going to know this? And so they would take them, look at them, and then copy them by hand, Mm -hmm. all right? So this is something that they didn't have machines for, they didn't have computers for, uh, they had to do with a uh, a quill for a pen, (laughs) either a, uh, basically a reed that had a hole in the middle, and they would sharpen that, or eventually they begin to use a feather that's a quill, that's the most commonly related uh, thing that we have in our mind, and they would sharpen it, Uh, dip it into ink, and then write. And they would have uh, different uh, types of materials to write on. You would have uh, parchment paper. uh, You would have um, papyri. And then you would have vellum. Uh, So parchment uh, is basically paper. Paper. Uh, Papyri is basically, if you would take um, these leaves or... Uh, reeds, uh, and you would you would scrape them and flatten them out, and you would weave them together, uh, and then you would put some uh, chemical or compound on it to make it a smoother writing surface, and it would it would function sort of like uh, like paper. And then vellum was the leather that they would get from an animal. They would scrape it smooth and clean, and then take their quill or their uh, their pen, whatever their version of it was in that time, dip it in ink, and have to handwrite. Um, and most of the time, they're writing indoors in the dark with nothing but a candle to uh, to light their work. And right? You think about and you think about it, that's probably why they, it was preserved so long. Yeah, because leather leather lasts forever. You take mm-hmm. care of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and see, that's what a lot of people ask. Well, how you know these are the original manuscripts? They could last that long because of the material you just said. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's how, you know, you're talking about them riding and passing along. They do that in mm-hmm. India. They do that in China. They mm-hmm. do it. They don't take, I was watching a video the other day about Bible translation. Like the guy said, he said, in these countries, they'll take a Bible and they rip pages to pages over here. We take mm-hmm. that sacrilegious. That's the only way they can get their Bible. Yeah. That's how they did it back yeah. in the day. Yeah, they don't have a Bible for every person. They'll tear out the pages, read and read and read and read the same page over and over again. And then they'll try to find the person with the next chapter and yep. trade it. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that's what they have to do. And so um, they're writing uh, on uh, these different materials with these different inks and different uh, versions of a pen. Uh, and then the original is being copied. And it might be copied one time, might be copied 20 times, might be copied 100 times. 
Uh, and then those copies are copied. Mm-hmm. And, and they might be copied 20 times. And then the copies of the copies are copied, you know, first, fifth, 20th, 100th time. Right. And then so this just begins to happen over and over and over and over again. Uh, and then these copies are going out, being spread all over the world. They're going to different churches. Uh, we see that when Paul wrote letters to one church, sometimes he would say, you're also to bring this letter to other churches because there might be specific issues we're dealing with in one area, but there's also truth in Scripture here that can be applied to everyone, that everyone needs to receive this teaching. Uh, and so these things were copied and copied and copied, and then the copies were copied and copied and copied. This wasn't a controlled process. Uh, you also have people uh, doing this who are very uneducated. Some of them, if they if they were rare enough to be able to afford a scribe, uh, could have that done professionally. But most of them are having to do this. Uh, just try to figure out what's the best way to do it. That's you know what we call a backyard mechanic around <laughs> here, right? <laughs> so right. you know he, he, he's trade. not a professional at it, but he's going to do his best, right? And then so you have this happening over and over again, happening in different areas all over the world. Process happening hundreds and hundreds of times over, and then these things are spreading all over the place. Uh, and so this is how you get so many. Uh, what you would call uh, manuscript errors, right? Mm. And so if you look at all of the manuscripts we have, and, and we have generally uh, about 5,700 manuscripts right now. Mm. So uh, manuscripts are still being discovered all over the world. We have uh, manuscripts that are as old as the 12th or 13th century, mm. uh, and we have them as young as the 1st century. So mm. within... Uh, cl- maybe close to a hundred years of the original writing of that letter. So unbelievable amounts of information uh, that are available to us. And then to find how close the these uh, manuscripts are from 1,200 years apart, that they are so amazingly close, tells you how consistent and how faithful uh, these these copyists were, but th- still there are differences, and this is something that critics of the Bible would like to point to, and they'll look at the Bible, and they'll compare all the manuscripts, and they'll say, out of all the manuscripts we have, 5,700 manuscript, there are hundreds of thousands of errors, hundreds of thousands mm. of places where texts disagree with one another, and a new believer might hear that and go, well, how can I trust the Bible? How right. can I know that what I have was originally written? Well, what you have to understand is that 99% of those errors and inconsistencies are obvious mistakes, right? So we have, uh, you know, say 100 manuscripts of the book of Colossians, and this one place in chapter 1 and say verse, you know, 20, just picking at random, you know, that this phrase is worded very differently than the rest. Well, you know, okay, well, the vast majority of them are like this, and this is obviously a grammatical error. You can look at it, a person reading Greek knows this is simply a mistake. This is a misspelled word. This is a word that was accidentally repeated twice in the text, and and they didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And so the vast majority of those are easily understood as something uh, that is not bringing the validity of Scripture into question. So that's how we have different manuscripts, and and understanding that is 
uh, part of understanding why you might go look at one translation of the Bible and see a word or a phrase or maybe even a verse. Mm. And you go look at another translation and say, that word isn't in this translation that was in the other translation. Well, why, why is that not there? Well, you can understand uh, through looking at the issue uh, critically, thinking, asking the honest, genuine question, why would that not be there? The vast majority of times, it's because of something that was repeated or something that was added as a mistake, those kind of things. So you have an example of... Uh, one of the examples I'll use is in Colossians and Ephesians. You see a phrase that is almost identical, that it says, we have redemption through his blood. Now, in one of those passages, I think it's Ephesians, uh, it says that we have redemption through his blood. Mm -hmm. And then you have almost the exact same phrase in Greek, we have redemption, but it doesn't have through his blood. Well, you can look at that and go, oh, no, this one translation that doesn't have that phrase is removing the blood, and that's important. No, you can understand how if there's a whole sentence that is repeated almost verbatim from one uh, book of Scripture to another, how a copyist might have that passage memorized and not be looking at his manuscript very carefully and just out of rote habit might put that phrase in, not thinking. Or you might understand how... As he's copying, going, I'm used to this word or phrase being there when I think of this sentence. Maybe the person who made this copy before me accidentally left it out. And so if I have to make a choice, do I leave it out too or do I put it in? Just to be safe, I'll put it in. Mm. And then that's copied and copied and copied and copied. So now all of a sudden, you have manuscripts that for three to four to five to six hundred years, all of the manuscripts we have of that passage don't have that phrase in the one book, even though it's in the other. And then all of a sudden, all the manuscripts from that point on have that phrase in it. Well, if you look critically at it and you think about it, you can understand that's a mistake. There's nothing nefarious here. There's nothing mm. horrible going on. It's just a mistake. Same thing with uh, the Gospels where you'll see terms and phrases that Jesus used, and it's recorded in uh, one book, either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and then when that phrase or issue is repeated uh, in one of the other books, if it's something that's in Matthew, uh, and then you get to Mark, well, Mark is just generally much shorter than Matthew. Matthew is 28 chapters, Mark is 16 chapters. Mm -hmm. And so you can understand how Mark is just giving the shortest version of the story possible, and Matthew is is giving all of the fullest details he can think with that issue. Well, you look at one translation, and Mark has a longer phrase or sentence that's in Matthew, but then you look at another translation, and that phrase or that sentence isn't there. Well, a, pro a prime example of that <clears throat> excuse me, would be the mount, uh, Mountain of Transfiguration. Mm -hmm. I believe it's a uh, record in... Mark or Matthew and then Luke, one says eight days, the other one says ten days. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that are skeptical of the Bible say, well, look, you see right there, that's a E. But like you said, if it's a copy, a copy, a copy, they didn't have like us copy and paste. And even that we even mess up on. Because mm -hmm. uh, text messages, how many times we went and wrote on text messages and we put the wrong detail or mm -hmm. something of that nature. So that's a that that one example of Jesus in the mouth church. Transfiguration, 
is a prime example of that one mm-hmm. era. Well, well, the thing, like, for example, like the twin, when it happened with the Twin Towers, this is how you look at the Gospels. They're mm-hmm. seen at different angles. Mm-hmm. Like the Twin Towers, for example, somebody would say, look, I saw this plane here on this side, and the plane twisted. And somebody else says, well, I saw the plane twisted this way. You know, it's just kind of mm-hmm. like to say they saw the same thing, but different reactions. Exactly. That's how you can look at the Gospels. Exactly. exactly. Uh, and so just understanding that that they're not intense. No one's intentionally trying to remove right. a word or phrase, but there are all these copies. And this is not a controlled uh, environment where they're all sitting down and, and doing this. You sit down by yourself, take a, a modern pen and a piece of paper and copy one chapter of the Bible with your nice fluorescent lighting <laughs> and, and then copy it and then go back and see how many mistakes you made. Yep. And then you'll realize this is a very difficult, con- you know, uh, a very difficult process. And then you think in Greek, everything, there are no commas, there are no periods, there are no mm-hmm. punctuation marks, there are no um, parenthetical uh, symbols used to put things in parentheses. And so it's just all running together, right? Um, so you can understand how you could be copying something and your, your pen runs out of ink. You have to put it back in and you look back at your text. You're like, Oh, where was I? You know, that's a painstaking process. And Greek Greek ain't the easiest language to, Mm -hmm. even with our modern, you know, we got concordance, we got Mm -hmm. commentaries, we have all those things and we go look in that. Mm -hmm. We still, me personally, I I never, I, I don't know Greek. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I go look up mm-hmm. a word, but it's Greek. One word can have five meanings in the Greek. It, mm-hmm. Greek is a very confusing language. Mm-hmm. It's a very complex language. Uh, and so all that to say, then you have all of these manuscripts. And so you not only have to look at what is the Bible, you have to say, OK, well, what manuscripts did they translate yeah. from? Um, and then. Uh, after understanding what manuscripts did they translate from and why are there different, um, you know, translations that have s- some words more than others. Um, the the most common that people might be familiar with is uh, 1 John chapter 5. Uh, I think in uh, it's a passage, I think, verse 7 and 8 uh, called the comma yohanim, the, the, uh, this phrase that's used there about uh, there are three that bear witness uh, in heaven and three that bear witness in earth. Well, in, in the King James and New King James and other translations, that phrase is longer and fuller and it says more. And then uh, if you want to, we can just turn there real quick and uh, look at that for a, spe- a specific example. And then after we're, we're done with this, we will uh, begin to actually talk about uh, what translations are good or not good or helpful or not helpful. Um, and we'll we'll see that. So uh, in the King James, you see uh, in First John 5, verse 7, uh, you see, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And then you see in verse uh, 8, it says, And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. Now, if you notice in verse 7, uh, it says there are three that bear rec- record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Well, if you look in the ESV, NIV, NASB, 
uh, NET, New English Translation, all of these newer ones with different manuscripts, you see for uh, that verse 7 just says, for there are three that testify or three that bear witness. And the phrase, which is a Trinitarian doctrinal statement, three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, is not located in the ESV. It's not located in these new uh, newer translations with these manuscripts. And you say, well, why is that missing? Why is that not there? So what you see is that if you look at the manuscripts that we have of the Greek New Testament, and these come from all different places, these and, and we could have a three-hour conversation about the uh, the Byzantine text and the Alexandrian text mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, Codex Sinaiticus and all of these different things, but they all come from different places, different times, done by different people. Uh, but you look at them, and until the year uh, thirteen or fourteen hundred A.D., so this is uh, eleven, twelve to to thirteen hundred years after the New Testament was written. Mm. All of that time, 1,300 years, there is no Greek manuscript that has this phrase in it, that there wow. are three in heaven which bear record, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. There's no Greek manuscript that has that. Um, and then when you do have it, uh, it's not till like the, the 14th or the 15th century. So, But this phrase is included, I think it's in the Latin Vulgate. And what's probably best understood about this is that Catholics were used to this phrase being in there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Desiderius Erasmus, who created the Textus Receptus, which is the basis for the King King James translation, he did, I think, five editions of it. He he revised it several times. And when he made his first edition, he did not have the Kama Yohneum in it. He didn't have this phrase Mm -hmm. in it. Um, And... Uh, it was because it wasn't in his manuscript. And then the the Roman Catholic Church and people in it became alarmed and frustrated and going, we expected this to be there. Why is it not there? Wow. And he says, well, there is no Greek manuscript that has this in it. And I'm translating from the Greek. And so unless you can provide one that has, unless you can provide a Greek manuscript that has this phrase in it, I won't use it. So all of a sudden they brought one to him uh, that it looks like they literally created a manuscript (laughs) with that phrase in it just to use it. Now, is anything in that phrase doctrinally wrong? No, No, it's accurate. It's good. It's helpful. But our question is not, is the statement biblical, theologically correct or helpful? The question is, is it scripture? Was it originally inspired? And if you have to ask if it was originally part of Scripture and the church accepted it as Scripture, why in all of the church's defense of the doctrine of the Trinity did none of the early church fathers quote this passage? Because it, there were many times where heresies sprung up that attacked the Trinity, attacked the nature of God. And so they're defending and explaining the doctrine of Scripture, quoting so many passages. Why would this one never be quoted? If it was there, you don't need all the rest of the verses in the New mm-hmm. Testament. You don't need right. all the other, because it's just right here, plain as day. Uh, and so you understand that it's not hurtful or wrong or inaccurate, but it doesn't appear to be Scripture. 
Uh, and so he put it in his manuscript because he had to put it in his manuscript. Mm. And it's the only manuscript known in existence to have this phrase in the original Greek. Wow. Now, don't now don't don't they have two like the Eastern manuscripts and the Western manuscripts? Yes, and I was mm-hmm. I was kind of avoiding that because that's oh. the three-hour conversation oh. I was talking about the Alexander <laughs> so, and the Byzantine yeah, text. Well, that, I, the reason I brought it up is yeah. you know doing research a little bit for this podcast. Ran across a brother that asked the question that we're mm-hmm. discussing tonight: yeah. what translation yeah. and everything? And he said that the King James. And the New King James came from the Western side manuscripts, mm-hmm. which was, like you said, more heavenly for Roman Catholics mm-hmm. and Rome mm-hmm. and other divisions. As for yeah. ESV, NIV, and they came from the from the Eastern manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Do you think these translators just picked the? Well, we're gonna go with the Eastern set because I know the Eastern well, has more, so, so has less than the Western. The Western got yes, more. Yes, the 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 Byzantine texts have. Is, is what they call, in, in the, the uh, study of this uh, textual criticism, uh, is, is what they call fuller, meaning that it, it has more words. It's okay. a little bit longer generally. And what you see is the later a manuscript came from, the fuller it is, mm-hmm. right? The more words that there are. And, and what that tells us about uh, something that is copied and copied and copied and copied for hundreds of years repeatedly is that no words are lost, mm. but uh, gradually more words are accidentally put in oh, because okay. it's progressively getting longer. Right. And so we're not, we haven't lost anything of Scripture, but the majority of time it's either an accidental copy or uh, it's something that was intended to be a commentary on the passage that was helpful. And most assume that that's probably what happened with this passage is that someone wrote on a manuscript some helpful commentary so that the next person reading that could go, oh, well, this is helpful in understanding, you know, this issue in relation to the other issue. And then the next person uh, to copy it going, wait a minute, is this something that they forgot to put in the manuscript Mm. and then they added later? Mm. Or is this just a helpful commentary note? I don't know. Well, <laughs> rather be safe than sorry. Put, it in. put it in. There, yeah. uh, and so uh, you end up with all of these things. Now, now, when we say the, the Byzantine and Alexandrian text, these East and West and different things, um, the reason that you find the Alexandrian texts are earlier. And so when we when people would say, you know, well, the the text that the the NASB ESV um, these other newer translations comes from are earlier manuscripts. What you understand is, for one, these manuscripts, how many of them were destroyed for war? I mean, these are areas that have been covered with war for so long. But also, you see that a lot of these manuscripts were from papyri or parchment, and they it just did not last that long. And in, in the Byzantine area, it's a more humid uh, atmosphere. There's a lot more moisture, and so that's just going to wreak havoc on these manuscripts. They're not going to last 1,500 years, uh, and so the majority of manuscripts in that area are from m- the earliest you might get is like seventh century, uh, and and then most of them are seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, twelfth century. But Alexandria, that area, uh, it's a much drier climate. And then so they're finding these things like like the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. They found them buried in the desert right. in, a, in a cave, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. this is a dry, 
dark place, <laughs> untouched by anybody. That's the only reason these manuscripts were able to survive so long. Uh, and so you see the same thing with the Alexandrian text, uh, that they were they were somewhat lost, and, and Christianity uh, was sort of um, banished out of that area for a long time. And so the church just didn't have access to these manuscripts for a long time. And, and man, if we if we got into it, this, this is this yeah, is really lot. unfair to kind of bring this up and then have to move. <laughs> I got you. But but um, Codex uh, Sinaiticus uh, and uh, oh, what's what's the guy's name? There, there's there are manuscripts that were found in this uh, monastery in the desert mm-hmm. that this monastery basically was traded back and forth between the the Christians and the Muslims for hundreds of years uh, because it was considered to be this holy place. And when one area lost and okay, the Christians used to inhabit it and they were in this monastery. Well, at least the Christians and the Muslims preserve the library instead of doing what most of the time happened, which they they would go into libraries and just destroy everything. Uh, And then, so you have these uh, manuscripts, this library uh, that was just preserved for all of this time, and all of these records were there, uh, and so these things were discovered, you know, 200 years ago, uh, and so that's why we have now these older manuscripts uh, that were kind of just being discovered over over the last 200 years. So, but there there's a whole um, a whole scholarly discipline called textual criticism, which sounds bad you're criticizing scripture Mm -hmm. but it's not criticizing scripture the term textual criticism just means someone who looks at them and studies where did it come from how old is it Mm -hmm. how accurate is it in and does it look grammatically consistent how well does it line up with others and then putting them all together all the information and going which one is is original which Mm -hmm. one uh, was really intended by the author to be what we understand. And so that's, we, we've dealt with what is uh, the Bible, what is Scripture, the manuscripts uh, and texts that they come from, what a translation is. Uh, and one last thing that we'll deal with is method of translation. And after we talk about method of translation, we'll talk about which one should you get. Does that sound like a good, oh, that sounds good transition? Uh, you have some to say? Uh, his name know? was uh, the one at uh, Sinai. Mm-hmm. His name was Con- uh, uh, Constantine Dischendorf. His name was. Tischendorf, yes. 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 Tischendorf. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, it's an awful <laughs> name. It, it's a long name. I, I appreciate his work, but what <laughs> yeah. an awful name. Yeah, what right? a long name. Can you so. imagine that kid going to school? What's your name? <laughs> Tischendorf. What? <laughs> How you, you spelling? <laughs> that kid got beat up. He wasn't allowed to play soccer. No, but... But the thing I want to ask you a question, though, if you don't mind, do you think I heard stories like Mm -hmm. I've been doing studies Mm -hmm. on it and you can help me understand Mm -hmm. this. I'll make sure I'm correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's some people think that in the Alexandrian manuscripts, they believe that there were some Gnostics. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to get the Mm -hmm. whole that's Mm -hmm. not the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. But there are some people claim there were some Gnostics that came and messed up some of the Mm -hmm. manuscripts. Is that true? So so here's the thing. The the idea is because there are passages Mm -hmm. that. Uh, in in those manuscripts yeah. where um, there's not as much um, th- like passages that are commonly used in other translations and other mm-hmm. manuscripts to defend the deity of Christ, the lordship of Christ, uh, the blood and those things. Um, 
people would look at that and go, well, well, man, you're removing texts that are about right. the deity mm-hmm. of Christ. Why, why are they yeah. not in these older ones? Right. There is no historical record, okay. no historical record of any uh, heretical group having these manuscripts and being able to remove things from them. Okay. And okay. the good thing about it is we talked about earlier how the the copy of uh, the the scripture wasn't controlled. And you might look mm-hmm. at that and go, well, that's awful. Mm-hmm. Th- someone should have had the original and controlled who copied it and when they copied and did all that to make sure there are no mistakes. Well, the problem is if that happens, now all of scripture is in one place. And if someone wants to make a bad copy mm-hmm. and remove things, they can do it. Wow. But if you've got a copy here and it's sent yeah. over there and sent mm-hmm. over there and sent over here and sent over here and sent over there mm-hmm. and one's happening in at the end of the first century, one's happening at the end of the second century, in the third century, in the fourth, and they're all spread out. Well, they're not all here for us to say, get them all together, mm-hmm. remove the parts we don't like, right. Uh, right. and then this is our work. You, right. you see that that's what uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have done. That's what yeah. Mormons have done. They've mm-hmm. come up with their own version right. of mm-hmm. what is Scripture, but there's an obvious method behind it. You can look at it, trace it back. We know who did it. We know what they did. We know why they did it, and you can do that. You can't do that with these manuscripts. Right. They, they were at different times in different places, mm. um, and then not only do you have that as a record of, well, this is what the New Testament had. You have translations of the New Testament into other languages, mm-hmm. right? right? So right. you have first, second, third, fourth century translations from the original Greek into Coptic, uh, Aramaic, uh, all of these other translations. There's an interesting book uh, that we had to read for our translation class in Bible college called The Bible in Translation wow. by Bruce Metzger. If you want to fall asleep, read this book. It's the most <laughs> awful, painful thing. Yeah. If we were Catholic, I'm pretty sure the reading of this book would count as penance. And I, would, and I, I could do no more good ro- works till the day I die, and this would get me into heaven. Because it was, it was, it was masochism. It was, it was abusing, uh, you know, finding the pleasure and the pain. Because it, it was a difficult read. Uh, but what it showed me is, man... The scriptures were massively copied, mm-hmm. massively translated, and sent all over the world, and they yeah. line up better wow. with the Alexandrian text wow. than the Byzantine text. Wow, okay. And so it's impossible for someone to have got their hands on it, yeah. narrowed it down to the things they liked and the things they didn't, right, and right. then that's that's what it is. It would have been impossible. They would have had to have all of the manuscripts mm-hmm. together in one place, produce them all at the same time, right. and do that. And so that is a historical fallacy. Right. That That's someone saying, well, I think this is what happened. Right. They're making an assumption. There's no historical evidence to support that that was ever done. Can I ask you another question, mm-hmm. if, if that's okay and, with y'all? Yeah. Can I make one yeah, one ahead. last mm-hmm. instance? And it'll yeah. take yeah. the the issue where they call it Gnosticism because mm-hmm. it's less scriptures, yeah. uh, less passages mm-hmm. uh, extolling the deity of Christ or the lordship of Christ. This is what's called the expansion of piety. Yes, sir. And mm-hmm. and what this means is, uh, you see that the the later in date the manuscript was copied, you see more terms added like. Lord, 
for the title Messiah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like passages that just have the Lord or Jesus get longer, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you know, uh, the, in, instead of just Jesus, it's the Lord Jesus. And, and what this is, is um, it's people just copying this and they're used to these terms being together, not just saying Jesus, but the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then so these uh, reverential titles Mm -hmm. just get longer and longer and longer the more you go. Right. So it's, it's obvious that this is something that uh, just happened incidentally Mm -hmm. and it it wasn't a nefarious thing. We're going to remove them. Right. No, someone added them and they weren't trying to add to scripture. They weren't trying to harm scripture. Yeah. Uh, They just either by mistake or out of rote habit in using the name of Lord that they attach these titles to it, Mm -hmm. but it's the expansion of piety. So it's not, it's not Gnosticism. Right. uh, right. It's just a, a poor copy. Well, the reason why we're asking that, because like one day I was reading a Catholic Bible. Mm -hmm. I use it to witness the Catholics, Mm -hmm. you know, like, hey, some of the Bibles, some of the scriptures we Protestants have, we have the Mm -hmm. same as Mm y'all. So, but I noticed I was reading one day when Philip, remember the Ethiopian, Mm -hmm. when he was going to Gaza Mm -hmm. and the Ethiopian was coming and he witnessed to him. He told him about the book, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and stuff. And he says, what hinders me to be baptized? And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, I believe. But if you read in the Catholic version, mm-hmm. it's not there. Yeah. And they told it's like totally removed. So I'm kind of curious at what do you think what happened right there in mm-hmm. your perspective? That's that's not a passage that I'm familiar with. Right. And so right. I'd have to look it up. Oh, okay. So okay. I, I, and I know I've generally heard about that, yeah. but I've never looked into well, it myself. It, it, go, it goes right. to the same yeah. thing because uh, mm-hmm. I'm 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 barely new to the ESV. Mm-hmm. And I was reading that day and doing some studies on it. It's in Acts chapter mm-hmm. 8, verse 36. And they went on their way, and they came into a certain way. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? Mm-hmm. This is King James I'm reading right now. And Philip said, if thou believe with all thy heart, that mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then, they went, then the Bible said they got from the water. Mm-hmm. ESV in the Catholic Bible Coast 36, and they were going along the road, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me to be baptized? And then it goes to 38. Mm-hmm. It don't say 37. Mm-hmm. So and, I think that's so what... So name the, name the sentence that's missing there. The, the, the 37, and Philip said, if thou believe with all thy heart, thy admirest. And he answered and said, I believe it, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Verse yeah. 37. Is so, yes, that that verse is not there, and you could look at uh, you can do investigation on why it's not there, but simply put, you would understand from his explanation to the eunuch about Psalm 53, which he was reading. Okay. You can understand that he was giving him uh, the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And so the truth of that passage is implied. It might not okay. be immediately stated, uh by that person, but it's obvious that that's what uh, Philip was preaching to him: Christ, the Son of God, suffering for our sins. And, and like we said, though, and so these... so that's defining when he says, "If you believe in your heart, well, what do you believe? You're, you, if you believe what yeah. I just showed you from this right, passage, right. so even without that positive uh, confession of what that truth is, it's implied in the reading of of. Uh, Isaiah 53, yeah. and then even in Peter's teaching in 1 Peter chapter 1, 
that's relating to Isaiah 53 about what the apostles believed about that passage. Yeah, because that's when I look at the ESV, studying a little bit of it, and you got people that that, that go ahead and say, well, hold on, uh, King James don't say that. Mm-hmm. Like I was about to say, it's, we talked about it earlier, there's two different manuscripts right there they're reading from the yeah. Eastern and the Western. Yeah. Then you go ahead and there's some things in the ESV. King James repeats itself mm-hmm. a lot of times. Mm-hmm. ESV yep. goes straight to the point. Yeah. And that's that's what I like about the ESV. It goes straight mm-hmm. to the point, but some verses, it's just two or three words. Yeah. It was already covered. Yeah. And and that if if you look at another prime example of that, like you said, of repeating, is uh and this is a problem for a lot of people. They look at this passage and then they go, a phrase that I'm used to being there isn't there. And I understand that because I was raised King James only. I was yeah, raised yeah, and taught to believe. Yeah that that's the only safe translation to read and everything else is dangerous and the differences between King James and anything else are nefarious. They're intentionally wrong and hurtful to contaminate the Word of God. And I understand that fear. You should be mm-hmm. concerned right. because that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to twist, change, yes, remove from what the Word of God is. Uh, but it's not something that we have to be afraid of that's because right. this is a matter of scholarship. It's a matter of study. It's a matter of looking into things honestly, and we don't have to be afraid. We can look, look at history, look at Scripture, look at the facts, and without fear say, I trust the Lord to lead me. And I can tell you, most of the people who believe King James Onlyism and teach it, teach it with an attitude of fear. Yeah. Like if you listen to, there's a, a documentary that talks about these differences, and there's this eerie background music playing that's supposed to call they they had some Jesuits together in this closet where nobody else was and they were taking away things from the word of God and it, and it's a spirit of fear it's yeah, it's yeah. it's not a let me understand the issue without the emotional fear and hype and worry let me just look at the issue and trust the holy spirit to lead me into truth and to right understanding yeah because if so, it ain't the right, if it ain't the right translation the holy spirit Exactly. Will lead you to get away from that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, if there's too much stuff that's coming out of it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, reading King James all my life, when reading passages, wait, hold on, there is something, yeah. you get know what I'm saying? Yeah. It makes me dive in more. Exactly. It makes me dive in because, especially learning this week, studying for this podcast, well, I can look at it because King James comes from one way, mm-hmm. it's more of a study guide. Mm-hmm. As for ESV, it's more of a good, straight reading. Then you have other translations like uh, Mm -hmm. the Message Bible. Mm -hmm. They go way off the deep end. (laughs) They go way off the deep Deep end. end. Way off the deep end. And you know they 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 word it different. Yeah. So like one passage you're talking about repeating, and I know we need to to you know get to kind of the point in a little while um, of of which one. But um, in Romans chapter eight, you see uh, this phrase. Now there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. King James says who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Mm. And that's not in the newer translation. It's not in the Alexandrian text. Why is that not there? It is, is a person uh, trying to make a, remove a qualification that says, no, you can walk after the flesh and not after the Spirit, and you're still no condemnation. You can live in sin and do whatever you want. That's the application. People who have heard preach it, those that phrase, they're using that passage to say, yeah, there's no condemnation as long as you don't walk in sin. And then so if those words aren't there, here's someone who's wanting the Scripture to not tell them they can't live in sin and really believe that they have a right to to believe that they're justified. Um, you know, that you're teaching people they can live in sin and unrepentance and be saved. 
Well, the issue is they're not looking at the original manuscripts. They're not looking at the text. Why is that not there? Well, what you see, remember how we talked about texts getting progressively longer as time mm-hmm. goes on? Uh, if you look at, uh, there's a, a translation called the New English Translation, N-E-T. And it, they have a free, uh, you, you can get it on uh, on um, uh, the uh, Life Church TV Bible app, which has all those free translations, and that one's free. And you can push on uh, the little uh, toggles there, and it will give you notes and information, particularly on the original manuscripts. And you, you can talk to scholars or read books, but that's one helpful place that explains the issue. And what, what it will explain is that in all of the manuscripts of that passage, that phrase is not there until about the 12th or 13th century, and then it's only in one manuscript. But it's not the full sentence. Mm. It's there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh. It doesn't say who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. It's just, but walk not after the flesh. And then it gets in the next century manuscript that we have that comes from like the 13th century. uh, You have it saying uh, a little, it's the sentence is a little bit longer, but it's Mm -hmm. still not exactly what we have today. And then finally, in the 14th century, after all of it, you have it nice and smoothed out. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Well, that phrase is repeated at the, either in verse 3 or verse 4, uh, where it says uh, that the, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Well, you can understand how someone copying and writing this down accidentally just put who walk not after the flesh. Mm-hmm. And then the next person looks at it and goes, that sentence is incomplete, but something similar to it and longer is here in verse 4. So let me go ahead and put the whole thing uh, in right there. Um, or, or a person who's copying this down and saying, man, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Somebody might just take this as a license to sin. Uh, Let me just put this qualifying statement that's already in verse 3 or verse 4. So it's already scripture, and I'm just going to add it there as a helpful note. Whatever reason they had, a genuine mistake, feeling that that was a helpful uh, note to put there, whatever reason, it just obviously was not in the original manuscripts and was added later. So, like you said, it's just repeated. So those those are the issues of what is the Bible, um, the copies of the Bible, the manuscripts, and where they come from. Um, and then now we've dealt with translations, and we need to talk about the method of translation. Mm-hmm. So translation, there is, a, there is a scale of translation, and it goes from uh, literal to what's called dynamic equivalence, mm-hmm. yep. and then far on the other side is paraphrase. So literal is you try to find the most literal equivalent for this word, in one language to the the most literal equivalent of that in another language, mm-hmm. and then you just do that, and it's a it's a hard translation. It's sharp. It's straight to the point. This is this is what the word is in the original language. This is what the word is in the uh, the new language, and we just find as literal as possible what what's the best word to translate that word, and that's that's good. That's great, and. I think that the best translation is a generally, mostly literal yep. translation. Now, every translation uh, will have a measure of dynamic equivalence and will have a measure 
of paraphrase because their languages are different. And Mm -hmm. there are some words, some phrases, some constructions of a sentence that you just cannot give a literal translation and it make any sense to the person who's reading it. Therefore, it's not helpful. Uh, so, So you want a mostly literal translation, but where it's appropriate, dynamic equivalent, and then where it's appropriate, uh, paraphrase. The issue is uh, the more dynamic equivalent or paraphrase a translation is, I think, the less authority it has, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it's not to say that it's not accurate, it's not mm-hmm. helpful, mm-hmm. that it's wrong or nefarious. It's just to say if the more dynamic equivalent or the more paraphrase, the more uh, the the word choices in the in the sentence structure depends on that person's personal interpretation of that passage, mm. and he might have his own interpretation. It might be an accurate interpretation, but he is creating another filter between what the original author author said, the language, and now the the next filter of what he thinks that author meant, and then it gets to me, and so. Now I've got to deal more with, okay, well, he believes that was what it means, and it may or it may not be helpful, but it, I become more and more uncomfortable the more and more uh, dynamic or paraphrase a translation is. And so um, so you want it, those are paraphrase and dynamic equivalents are helpful tools, but they have to be used appropriately, Right. A hammer is a wonderful tool, mm-hmm. but used in the wrong way, and, yes. it, and it becomes very hurtful, right? And so you want someone who understands appropriately when to use a hammer and when not to use a hammer, right. when to use right. a screwdriver and when mm-hmm. not to use a screwdriver. And so those are helpful tools that should be used at appropriate times in appropriate ways. Um, and so uh, your more literal translations, King James, New King James, New American Standard, ESV, um, those are your your pretty typical common. Everybody uh, agrees those are those are literal translations. Uh, maybe even the Christian Standard Bible. I'm I'm not a hundred percent about that one, um, but I've never used that one very much. Um, then you have the more dynamic equivalent. So dynamic equivalent, uh, New King James is kind of in the middle between literal and dynamic equivalent. It's it's basically on the sliding scale most literal. You have NASB, then ESV, then King James, then New King James. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the scale, the degree of literalness there. Uh, dy- dynamic equivalents, you're going to be more uh, the NIV. Um, you're going to be more uh, the NRSV, the New Revised Standard. Um, and... You might even have, I think, New Living Translation is more dynamic equivalents. Uh, and so that's that's kind of where those are ranking. Uh, and then you have the more paraphrased translation. Exactly. You have this uh, this uh, chart right here. And if, and if somebody wants to look that up, you can just Google uh, chart of Bible, uh, literal, or paraphrase, uh, you know, well, you can, you can go ahead. I, the way I just found out, I just did Bible translation. That was the first thing that popped up. Yeah, under under images yeah. Yeah, on got, Google. You got all kind of like this one right here. Pretty good way to. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah, right there. Um, 
and then you get all the way to the furthest degree, <laughs> and you've got like passion translation <laughs> and and C-E-V, message Bible, I-S-V. yeah, con- yeah C E V, the contemporary English version, um, and so the way that I see that is. If you're picking a translation to use, this is your Bible that you're going to use. Mm. I want to be the more literal side of the yep. scale. I, I want to be, um, and, and my personal choice, what I use is the English Standard Version. Um, it's very literal. It's very helpful. Um, it's it's a little less literal than the NASB. And there are times when I'm, I'm kind of annoyed. I'm like, man, I wish it had been more literal there. <laughs> but there are other times you read NASB and you're like, man, I appreciate the literalness, but you're, you're almost not even <laughs> helpful right now. You're so literal. Uh, so uh, the ESV, uh, then uh, King James or New King James, mm-hmm. um, and, and dynamic equivalents, those I don't use as a translation. I use as what it is, a dynamic equivalence. This is going to help me. If I don't read Greek, I don't read Hebrew, this is going to help show me things that I might not know is there. Uh, and so I'll look at it to see what it says. This is this is New Living Translation, and that that's kind of the only one that I really use on that, that end of the spectrum. Um, but I'll look at it. The, the NET, New English Translation, uh, is very helpful in that as well. It's, it's kind of in the middle between literal and, uh, and dynamic equivalence. Uh, but also there are the notes telling you why they, they do that. So, um, and then anything past that, man, y- if you want to read it, you can go read it, but I, I'm not comfortable uh, using it. No. And yeah. so, especially some, some translations, I'm going to use an example. We have a lot of Jehovah Witness around our area. Mm-hmm. The new, uh, the new living translation. New living translation. Yeah. The late, I was witnessing to a Jehovah Witness lady a while back and she came out and I, I quoted John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. She goes, you're quoting that wrong. It's a God, a word. Yes. Wait, no, yeah. well, no, no, yeah. no. <laughs> uh-huh. Russell and that's went the ahead. New World Translation. Yeah, New World Translation. So yeah. Russell went ahead, and he believed that Jesus was the brother of Lucifer, mm-hmm. Michael the Archangel, and got to a whole dynamic about gods and mm-hmm. everything like that. Yeah. So, like you said, Russell, instead of doing the Greek manuscripts yeah. and everything, he went ahead and wrote his own opinion. yeah. yeah. Of the Bible. And by the way, he didn't know no Greek. He didn't know no. no. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, look, guys, that's pretty much all the time we have for tonight. Brother Brandon, we thank you for coming. And that was real good. Uh, Next time, we'll we'll get you in here. We might talk about something else. But uh, we we enjoyed having you tonight. And uh, hope you come back. Thank you for having me. It it was a privilege to be here. Amen. We appreciate you coming. Mm. And uh, all right, guys, as we go ahead and sign off. Remember, go check out our podcast, Facebook page, Twitter page. Um, also, go look at New Beginning Fellowship Church. We've been attending there for about four years now. It's been a little while, four or five years. And uh, I knew Pastor Brandon back in Bible College. I never attended Bible College, mm-hmm. but he was my camp counselor at <laughs> Crossfire International Youth Camp. Uh-huh. Back in the day. So that's where we first met. And uh, I remember one time. Had someone come up to us and said they were they were trying to tell me about you, and I said I know Pastor Brent. How you know Pastor? Brent? Well, I knew him way before everybody else around uh-huh. here. <laughs> so, but uh, but God has blessed you, brother, and um, and we we are blessed to have you as our pastor. Praise yes. God. And um, everybody, go look up New Beginnings Fellowship Church. Uh, God is about to do great things. We've been asking y'all mm. to keep us in your prayers. Mm. 
um, this year, 2020, is a big year for the church. Amen. And we're excited for what God's about to do. Um, also, go look on Amazon, my brother's book, The New Kingdom, The Evil Stone, and Liberty Amen. Man, right? Amen. I always get them two mixed up. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, guys, thank you all for coming tonight. And we ask you all to keep Brother Daniel in your prayers as he's on the road. Also, next week, we're hoping we can dive into our next topic. I'm not going to say what topic it is because you we did it. Yeah, we never yeah, know. Something might happens. happen. But uh, y'all uh, y'all keep us in your prayers, and y'all have a good night.